Welcome to the JDS Podcast, a place to discuss happenings and exciting topics in our school community. Good morning. Welcome to the CES JDS Podcast. I am Sue Rexford, the Director of College Guidance, and I am here this morning with Dr. Sharon Alston, who is the Vice President for Undergraduate Enrollment at American University. Sharon, thank you for being here. We're so delighted to have a chance to have a conversation with you. Um, This is going to be one in a series of conversations that we are hosting to help to demystify and better understand the college application process. And I could think of no better way of beginning this than to start with the part that tends to confuse or confound our families, and that's what do you do behind the curtain when you are going through the admissions process. One of the things that we did in preparation for this uh, talk this morning is we brainstormed some ideas, but we opened it up to our parents and students to see if they had any ideas that they would like us to bring to you, questions that maybe you can answer to help take away some of the mystery behind the process. So if it's okay with you, I'll go ahead and just begin. Thank Um, you for having me. Oh, we're so delighted that you're willing to do this with us. When you, this was a question that came up with students, when you start reading an application or when you get an application in your office, what happens to that application? Well, normally whenever we receive an application, there is some processing that happens. So um, whether that information is entered into a database or image, that document is is processed and set up in a file, whether it's a paper file or a digital file. at American University, everything is electronic. Um, and then what happens after that is via some mechanism, that file goes to the individual who is tasked with reading the application. So at AU, we actually have everything set up by region. Um, and this is important to us because each one of our assistant directors is responsible for reading um, applications from a specific region. And the region, it, and the reason it's done that way is because that is the individual that is going to be most familiar with those schools. And so that's the individual that really could be the student's advocate in this process. Um, when we start reading a file, we want to first get to know the student, right? And so the application includes very basic demographic information like name, address, um, but you know, but it also includes things like: Are there siblings in the family? Um, are the siblings in school? Where have they gone to college? You know, um, what what do the parents do? Is the student a first-generation college student? We're interested in getting a feel for um, the student's engagement outside of the class. So an application will typically ask for information about extracurricular activities or other things that students are doing after school. So some students might have responsibility for taking care of a family member. They might have a job after school. Um, And then, of course, there's the famous essay. Um, But when we're reading the file, um, we're we're primarily interested in in looking at um, that information that tells us whether or not the student will be successful at our institution. Um, and so, first and foremost, the most important thing in the process to us is really the student's academic record. Um, we're looking at the students, not just their GPA, but we're looking at their distribution of courses, 
their academic performance over four years. Students, let me repeat that, it's over four years. Um, <laughs> sometimes students think it's only the 11th grade that really counts. No, it's all right. four years. Um, we look at trends, we look at areas of strength, we look at areas that might be challenging. We don't necessarily expect a student to be perfect. Everyone has something that they need to work on, and so what we're interested in seeing is how the student works within those areas of challenge. So we're looking at academic performance. Um, what your counselor and, and teachers have to say about you is very important to us. It adds a little bit more information to the context of the performance. So that, I hope, gives mm -hmm. you some sort of a sense. So when, when you pick up a file or you, you call up a file on your computer, what is, if there is such a thing, the first thing that your eye would be drawn to when you're, when you're looking at a student? Is there an order in which you review the process, or is, is it just we start at the beginning of the application and we go through it? Oh, we'll start at the beginning, and the beginning really is it's the piece that the student provides. So we'll start at the actual application. Um, and by that I mean the, the piece that has the demographic information, the hobbies, the essay, and then we'll go on to the, um, to the academic record and the council recommendations. When you're looking at students, is there something that you can say, wow, this makes a student stand out? I know our students are always looking for that, that key to unlock a decision. Uh, what is it about me that would, would trigger, you know, some people would term it a hook or some people would say it's something that gives you a leg up. Is there something that, that you would look at and say that's a wow factor? Thinking about this for a minute, I, I really think, and this is in the interest of not stressing students out too much about getting hooked or being wowful, mm -hmm. um, I, I think the most important thing that would make a student stand out to us really would be their performance in school in a rigorous curriculum. I think that demonstrated leadership is important. I think it, it, it's those personal characteristics that show that you are resilient, that you have interests and passions. I think it's really hard for students when they're 16, 17, 18 to, to have that magic hook. I mean, clearly some students do, but I think that those are rare students. I think that most of us just have to present our best selves, and I think that's what's most important. I can tell you from working with seniors that the thing that stresses them the most about the entire application are the essays, mm -hmm. and I would like to know from you, because you've read thousands, I'm sure, of, of college essays over the years, what are you looking for in an essay? What do you want the student to project? And what would be a possible turnoff? Okay. Um, I think that the students should really view the essay as an opportunity. Um, I know that it seems very daunting, but it truly is an opportunity. It is it, it, it is your voice in the application process. You are speaking to the admissions committee when you write an essay. Um, I will admit that it causes students the greatest amount of angst, self-disclosure. I did my essay the night before my application was due. <laughs> we don't want to do that. No, um, definitely don't not. Don't do that. Um, but we want to hear your story. Everyone has a story, and, and we want to gain some insight into you. I mean, as much as I've talked about grades, for instance, and academic record, there's more to a student than that. And so we want to hear what you have to tell us. Um, it should be authentic. I mean, so clearly a turnoff, and, and because we've read thousands of essays, we know how students write. And so a real turnoff is seeing that someone else wrote your essay. 
um, don't do that, and most students really don't do that. Um, but we want to see something that we've not already seen in the application. Um, or, you know, perhaps there's something that you'd like to expand upon that's referenced in your application, but it's of really great interest to you, and you want to talk to us a little bit more about that. There's truly no formula. The most important thing is being authentic. Um, I would say write about a particular experience. You could write about a hobby. You could write about something quirky. Um, it does not have to be around a major achievement because most of us at the age of 16 or 17 or 18 have not won a Pulitzer Prize. We've not climbed Mount Everest. Um, my favorite essay was about um, a student who failed her driver's test seven times. I don't want to be on the road with her. She did pass. <laughs> Eventually. Um, but, but it told me a lot about her persistence um, and you know, her, her willingness to sort of get back, get back up after a setback. Um, a don't would be, don't use your essay to write about someone else. Um, I think that a lot of students have family members and friends that they love dearly. And, and while it's OK to say something about them, they're not the ones going to college you are. So I had a, um, a family friend once who said, please look at my essay. She wrote about her godfather. But in four paragraphs, three of the paragraphs were about her godfather. And I said, you know, your godfather's not going to college. I recognize that he's a great guy, but it, it's you. So really seize it as an opportunity to write about yourself and tell us what's important for us to know about you. So one of the other things that students are always questioning us about, so I'll have a chance to get it from the source now. When they put their application together, they spend literally hours making sure they've got their extracurriculars in order of importance and that they've said everything that could be possibly said. And no matter how many times we say they're spending more time writing them than it will take you to read them, can you share with us what that balance is? Um, we always say that extracurriculars don't overcome an academic performance, but students feel like there's some balance in there. So if you could clarify that for us. Yeah, so um, while extracurricular activities are important, they are not more important than those things that you do that tell us that you can be successful in college. Um, and so I would say that when it comes to extracurricular activities, what we like to see is sustained involvement in a few things over a period of years. So perhaps in ninth grade, um, a student might experiment and dabble with a lot of different activities. And that's fine, because it's important to explore to figure out what it is you want to do. But then after that, um, we want to just get a feel for what are you really serious about? What are those areas in which you've been a difference maker or really made a contribution? Um, what might you contribute to our campus? What we don't want to see is someone who has been so involved in extracurricular activities that it has negatively affected their performance because all that it tells us is that the student doesn't have the appropriate mix of priorities. Um, and so I think that with extracurricular activities, you should do what you love, um, try to be a difference maker. Not everyone can be a club president, but you can still make a difference in some way. Um, but don't let those activities consume you so much that you begin to perform badly academically because in the end, that will not serve you at all. Thank you. So another question that students always ask, parents will have the same question, 
Is it better to get an A in a grade level class or a B and an honors or an advanced class? Oh, my favorite question. So if you talk to most admissions people, we would say it is better to get the A <laughs> in the advanced level class. Um, but that probably is not necessarily reasonable. Um, so I would say that we really want to see that you're challenging yourself, and we want to see that you're challenging yourself in reasonable ways. Um, if you are not a particularly good math student, it really would not make sense for you to take Advanced Placement Calculus BC. That's not going to serve you well. Um, on the other hand, it does make sense for you to challenge yourself in those areas in which you do have some interest and you do have some strengths. Now, having said that, there is always risk inherent in, in, in taking a more rigorous curriculum. Um, but I think that in the end, the gain is, in, is that you've demonstrated your seriousness of purpose. Um, I think it's equally risky to try to take the safe route and not challenge yourself because then you're looked upon as someone that really is just trying to take the easy way out. So I think in the end, I think, I think challenge is important. I think, you know, take the risk, take the advanced level class or the honors class, but be reasonable, be reasonable about it and play to your strengths. One of the things that would be specific to our school, the uh, impact of a dual curriculum. Mm -hmm. Our students have an extended school day. Mm -hmm. They take anywhere between seven and nine academic classes. Mm -hmm. And often they wonder, do colleges understand what our school is all about and do they understand the impact that taking so many academics might have on their overall academic performance? So the answer to that is yes, and reflect back on one of my earlier comments about the way in which we assign staff to high schools. Um, it's their job to be familiar with the curriculum and to understand the context from which the students are coming. Um, in general, within the world of admissions, um, the, um, the, the acad what we consider the academic core subjects, so English, math, reading, social studies, foreign language, lab science, um, these are things that have predictive value for us and that they um, are an indication of how you might perform uh, when you get to college or university. But on the other hand, we also, because we know your school, recognize that the Judaics classes that you're taking um, are an important element of your experience and the curriculum there. So the performance in these classes is still relevant and it's still important to us um, and it is still considered in the evaluation process. Um, because the work that you're doing is also a reflection of your work ethic and how you approach things. So it would be concerning to us to see a pattern in which students were not doing well in their Judaics classes, but doing well in the others. So I would say that the entire curriculum is important to us. Thank you. So another question that we get often, when you're reading an application, is there anything in an application that would be a deal killer? that this is, this is a student that is not going to work for us and we can't, you know, the rest of the application won't help no matter what? I know that's a tough question. So um, aside from something that would indicate absolutely horrible academic performance and you know, suggest to us that the student wouldn't be successful, um, I think that the most likely deal killers would probably have more to do with disciplinary violations or integrity, um, integrity issues. 
And you know, most often the things that we see are really minor and relate more to student development and so the student should definitely be forthcoming about these things. Um, but there are sometimes others that, that do rise to such a level that the admissions office will work with other partners across campus, whether in our uh, campus life area uh, with judicial affairs and, and sometimes even with our campus police as needed. Um, those are very, very rare. Um, we also tend to get information post-admission, and so um, I would say that in those instances uh, we would do our due diligence and rescind an offer of admission if that was the appropriate thing to do. So there aren't a lot of major deal breakers, um, but when we do see them we investigate and we act on them accordingly. So we know that American University is a school that uses early decision mm -hmm. as one of its application models. Mm -hmm. uh, can you share with us uh, the role that early decision plays? Uh, what are some of the pluses of applying early decision and are there any minuses to applying early decision? So I think um, early decision at American University as it is at most other schools is binding. And so that means that if a student is um, offered admission, there is an ethical obligation that the student has to withdraw their other applications and, of course, to submit their um, application deposit early because they are coming. Um, it really is best for students who have really, really done the research. Um, investigating a college or choosing your, your college is a lot like um, taking another course. You have to put that much time and, and attention into it. So ED is great for students that have a very clear first choice. They visited the other schools. They know that this is absolutely where they want to be and they're willing to make that commitment. It's great because students hear early. Um, most often they're notified in, uh, I'd say, by mid-December. Um, it alleviates some of the stress. I mean, students know in December that they have a college home to go to. Um, so their task after that is just to make sure that they continue to maintain their great academic performance on which we base that decision. Um, it is a poor thing to do, to use as a strategy. Um, early decision, or I should say colleges, um, increasingly look at demonstrated interest in their decision process. Um, like students, we want to be wanted to. And early decision is a great way for a student to say, I want you. Um, in general, and you would certainly want to check this from school to school, but in general there is a higher admit rate among early decision students than is the case for regular decision students. I think that's for a couple of reasons. Number one, the early decision applicant pools tend to be relatively smaller. You're competing against fewer students, but also you get the benefit of consideration of knowing that you're telling us, I really want you. Um, and so great for people that have done the research, great for people that have made the commitment, bad for people that are just trying to use it as a strategy just to gain admission because ultimately that might not be the right fit for the student and they won't be successful. Very good. Um, we know that you are a test optional school mm -hmm. and we also know that standardized testing is sometimes the bane of the existence of every high school junior and senior. Mm -hmm. um, what does it mean in terms of your admissions to be test optional and is there any advantage for a student to submit test scores? Is there any disadvantage for a student to submit test scores at a test optional school? 
So this really is an interesting question. So normally whenever students say, should I submit my test scores or not, I always like to refer them back to their, their school counselor. Um, but just by way of background, let me just say that uh, we are test optional, and I'm sure that many other schools have done this as well for this reason, because we want to give our students choice in the application process. Um, I think it also underscores the importance and value that we place on the students' academic record in high school. In fact, when you survey admission people, and we are surveyed annually, um, the number one most important factor in the admissions process is the student's academic record in high school. It's the four years of work that they've done. Um, so I would say that um, when students do apply test optional, there is going to be a lot of focus on their high school record. Um, we're going to look very closely to see, have you really, really challenged yourself? If your school offers AP or honors classes, how many of those have you taken? Um, have you been willing to pursue the rigor? So there will be a lot more emphasis on the high school record than if we had the, the test scores in order to kind of give us a little bit more of an indication of the student's academic uh, background. But let me say also that um, a growing number of schools have gone test optional. Testing is not the be-all and end-all in the admissions process. And strong test scores will not offset a weak academic record. But conversely, a strong academic record can certainly compensate for more modest testing. Um, so I think that test optional is certainly a wonderful option for students to have in managing that application process and in giving them some control as to how they present themselves to the admissions committee. Sharon, I know one of the things that we on the secondary school side value so much is the relationship and rapport that we have with our college partners. I wonder if you could expand a little bit on uh, how you see the role of the two intertwined. Um, so probably one of the most fun things about working in, in this uh, business is the fact that we are partnered with high school counselors. Um, we visit high schools every year to meet with students, but we also visit high schools to meet and talk with counselors. We want to understand a little bit more about what's happening in your school. We want to get to know our colleagues. And the rapport that we develop is very important because as we are working through application files, for instance, we want to be able to pick up the phone if we have a question. And so I, I know that if I have a question about a student, I can call Sue and say, Sue, I, I noticed such and such in, in this student's record. Can you provide a little bit more information for me and help me understand? Um, so this is very much a partnership. And I think that for the high school counselors, what most students don't realize is that your counselor is so well networked within the, um, the college admissions community. Uh, this is someone that is a professional who goes to conferences, who is sort of up on all the latest trends and who's talking with admission officers. And as I said, conversely, we want to know what's happening in the high school so that we can have a better understanding of the student in his or her context. So it's very much a partnership that we value. I think one thing that, that sometimes our, our families are not aware of 
is that some of our most significant professional associations are a blending of people on the secondary side with people on the college side. And I think that's something that does add to the dialogue that we're able to establish and the friendships that we're able to make. Absolutely. And what you're uh, probably referring to is the National Association for College Admission Counseling. There are 15,000 of us who work either on the high school side or the college side. We meet annually. We share ideas. There's, there's an element of professional development. But there is also an element of networking and friendship and collegiality um, that we enjoy. And I think that benefits students in the long run. I agree. So unfortunately, no conversation about the college admissions process in this day would be complete without having a conversation about the role that Varsity Blues scandal has played in the admissions process, how it has changed how colleges are looking at things, and I know how it's impacted us on the, on the high school side, not in a positive way. So, your thoughts? So, the Varsity Blues uh, scandal actually makes me very sad. Um, and it makes me sad for a couple of reasons. First of all, it makes me sad for the students uh, because I think that their parents really did not trust them and have a lot of faith in them. So I think on that level, I feel very sad about that. Um, but I'm also sad because I think that the Varsity Blues scandal is really a lot about trust. Um, you know, the admissions process um, is based on partnerships between um, high school counselors and admission officers. Um, and it, it is based on the trust that we're receiving on the high school side. Um, and we have never ever had any reason to not have faith in the information that we were getting from the school side. Um, so I don't necessarily view this as an admissions scandal per se, um, because our high school colleagues and admissions colleagues are not necessarily directly involved in this. We were actually taking information from colleagues that we trusted and acting on good faith as we would for any, um, any student. Um, I know that in the wake of Varsity Blues, there have been um, conversations about maybe how we can, how there can be better vetting of some students, particularly on the athletic side. Um, but I would say that going forward, I think that we would probably still continue to trust in the ethics of our, our partners and behave accordingly. So I think that um, I'm hoping that maybe this is not as huge a deal as one might believe it is. And while it's disappointing and it makes many of us sad, um, I don't think it's really broken our trust in our colleagues. Very good. Sharon, thank you so much. Thank you. It's a pleasure to always see you and to have a chance to chat with you this morning. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening. This has been a production of the Charles E. Smith Jewish Day School. Stay tuned for our next episode.